A race hoax at Brigham Young University proves our country's demand for oppression far outpaces its supply. Speaking of faux oppression, Meghan Markle compares her marriage to Harry to the heroism of Nelson Mandela. The American Academy of Pediatrics is lying about masks on kids again. And the girls at Barstool Sports think if you don't want your husband getting a lap dance at a strip club, you're the problem. This is an episode about truth versus lies and why it is important to know the difference. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie for a discount. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. We have almost made it through the week. If you haven't listened to yesterday's spontaneous episode with Allie and friends where we talk about a bunch of ridiculous things you should, I realized as I was listening back to the episode yesterday how much when I'm in casual conversation, not when I'm delivering monologues to you guys, but when I am in casual conversation, I say like so much. Oh my gosh. It's like I'm an, a millennial girl or something. So apologize for that. Also, some of you uh, pushed back a little bit on me saying I'm not sure that dinosaurs are real, saying that, okay, they're in the book of Job. They're described in different parts of the Bible. Perhaps they could have also just been really big animals or dragons. I'm not even really saying that dinosaurs didn't exist. I don't really care one way or the other. I just think it is a little odd how all of these scientists say that they know what a pterodactyl sounds like and exactly what their skin looked like, the pattern of their scales. That's just a little bit hard for me to believe. Hey, if that's just part of your imagination, awesome. Like maybe we should ask Ross from Friends or something how exactly the science of paleontology happens. I'm just saying I got some questions. All right. Speaking of things that are just not true, let's talk about this volleyball story of this girl who said that she was called a racial slur while she was playing volleyball at Brigham Young University. This has caused uh, caused an uproar on social media. There were several news outlets that were reporting this, saying that this poor young girl was called the N-word by a student at BYU in the student section. Um, uh, the what's his name? Stephen Smith. He, you know, he's a commentator and he's a sportscaster, and he went on TV saying how awful this is and now how BYU is going to be held accountable. People aren't going to want to go there anymore because apparently this young black girl was called an N-word by someone at Brigham Young. Well, it turns out, it turns out that this story, like so many stories like this recently that we don't even have time to talk about on this podcast when they happen, it's a hoax. It didn't actually happen. So let's back up. Let me break this down. This is according to the Washington Post. On August 26th, the spectator at Brigham Young's uh, Smith Fieldhouse allegedly, at least they said allegedly, 
yelled a racial slur at a black player on Duke University's volleyball team. The player said the threats caused us to feel unsafe and their match on Saturday was relocated. The player, Rachel Richardson, said on Twitter, my fellow African-American teammates and I were targeted and racially racially heckled throughout the entirety of the match. The slurs and comments grew into threats, which caused us to feel unsafe. Both the officials and BYU coaching staff were made aware of the incident during the game, but failed to take the necessary steps to stop the unacceptable behavior and create a safe environment. So right right away, I'm thinking, okay, if, if I didn't know anything else about this, if I didn't know what I was about to explain to you and how we know that this didn't actually happen, I wouldn't have assumed that this person made it up. I mean, why would you make up something like this? Like, why would you tell this kind of lie? I don't want to impugn her motives. I don't know why she made this comment. Honestly, my knee-jerk reaction would be to think, even based on the history of fake race crimes over the past couple of years, starting with Jesse Smollett, I would still think, okay, well, I don't think that she made this up. And that's pretty awful that someone would have the audacity to say something like that and that the coaches wouldn't do anything about it. At the same time, though, at the same time, even though I wouldn't want to disbelieve someone and just think that someone would make this up, it is really difficult to believe. I mean, in this day and age, you're telling me that someone is going to have the someone's going to have the audacity to say something like that in front of a, a black player and also in front of black fans that were in the audience. You're telling me that someone in 2022 would do that. That that part is hard to believe. But still, still, I wonder, would someone make that up? Well, we're going to we're we're going to dig into that in just a second. Well, BYU, they came out with their statement is pretty long so I'll just I'll just read some of it. All of God's children deserve love and respect and BYU Athletics is completely committed to leading out and abandoning leading out in abandoning interesting attitudes and actions of prejudice and of any kind and rooting out racism. When a student athlete or a fan comes to a BYU sporting event, we expect that they will be treated with love and respect and feel safe on our campus. We're extremely disheartened. We have a zero tolerance approach to this behavior. We wholeheartedly apologize to Duke University, especially its student athletic athletes uh, competing last night for what they experienced. And so we want this to be a safe environment for everyone. Uh, Duke University made their own statement on August 28th. Duke volleyball experienced targeted racism this past weekend during our match at the Smith Fieldhouse on the campus of BYU. So zero skepticism, by the way, in either of these statements, just taking her word for it and saying, oh, yeah, this absolutely happened. We stand against any form of racism, bigotry, or hatred. As a program, we have worked extensively to create an inclusive and safe environment where our student athletes feel heard and supported, but are not naive to the fact that there is Always work to be done. All 18 members of our team, our four black student athletes in particular, have shown tremendous camaraderie and leadership and are to be commended for their perseverance. We are grateful for the support of Duke Athletics and Duke University as we move forward. So all of this is not just based on the student statement, but also her godmother. Her name is Lisa Pamplin. She is an attorney in Fort Worth, and she tweeted that her goddaughter, uh, Rachel Richardson was called this racial slur every time she served. So she is the one, uh, one of the people who claimed that. Now, what's interesting is that if you look at Lisa Pamplin's 
Twitter. She is running for uh, she's running for a county criminal court judgeship in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, she is like pretty obsessed based on her Twitter history, this Lisa Pamplin person with white people and how bad white people are. Some of her tweets say, um, I knew she was married to a white boy just by reading this tweet. Being married to a white woman, he thinks he can talk this uh, stupid A nonsense, Clarence 2.0, white, why people being white why does cnn consistently interview these dumbing white women bernie sanders rallies are so white if you're white you totally wouldn't understand would expect nothing less from a pale white chick sit down becky you poor white mfers can't take it white women and men always disappoint so this is this girl who made this statement this is her godmother who was at the game who claims that she heard someone saying the n-word to her goddaughter. She also has a tweet saying, I went to vote and these white people, this is spelled W-H-Y-P-I-P-O-E, I think that's supposed to be white people, asking me all these questions about my jacket. No, I'm not in the military or a militia. I feel like I'm at war with them though. So this is a person that does not like white people and she is the godmother of this student who alleges that she was called the N-word at this game at a BYU um, volleyball game. And they insist that it happened. BYU apologizes. Duke makes this statement. However, a video of the entire game was posted on YouTube and shows you can go. We'll link it in the description of this episode. It shows that there was no one that anyone could hear unless it was like some sort of whisper and there was just zero reaction from the student athlete or anyone in the crowd. There is there is not uh, any indication whatsoever that someone was yelling racial slurs. Uh, the video does not show some of the things that this athlete alleges happened. Like she said that there was like a police officer like near the near the near the bench and uh, that he didn't do anything about it. Well, the video shows that that's not true. So based on all available evidence, this did not actually happen. This didn't actually happen. And uh, based on these allegations, BYU ended up like taking a student out of the student section and banning him. And then after they reviewed all of this footage, they realized that the guy that they removed from the game wasn't even there during the time that this um, that this girl says that she was called these names. She says that she was called these names while she was serving. This guy wasn't even there while she was while she was serving. So this is according to the Washington Examiner, media go all in on apparent volleyball racism hoax at BYU. BYU police reviewed footage of the fan who was banned and determined that he did not yell any slurs when Richardson was serving. The fan wasn't even present when Richardson was serving the first time, and he was on his phone during Richardson's second serve. There were the Those were the only two times she served in front of the BYU student section. A BYU student newspaper reached out to several people in the student section, none of whom said that they heard, none of whom had heard any slurs. 
Not a single person has come forward to report to BYU police that they heard the alleged slur. Black members of BYU's basketball team were also in the student section, yet they did not react, according to what we see on the footage, and have not come forward to say that they heard anything. And yet the story was picked up by professional race baiters Jamel Hill uh, in The Atlantic, Mike Freeman, USA Today, um, ESPN got into it. As I mentioned earlier, it was also picked up completely uncritically by NPR, by ABC, by NBC, the New York Times, and the Washington Post. And so not only is there no evidence that this actually happened, there is actually abundant evidence that it did not happen. The demand for hate, the demand for racism in this country far outpaces the supply. If this were truly a country that is systemically oppressing black and brown people, people would not have to make up their oppression. It would be so abundant. It would be so ubiquitous that we wouldn't have these race hoaxes. I mean, several times over the last couple of years, Andy No is an account. He's a journalist that chronicles a lot of this at uh, at different campuses across the country. There have been swastikas painted. There have been anti-black statements made. There have been um, different symbols placed around campuses that are supposed to be uh, intimidating black and brown students. And it's turned out that none of those have actually been true. They were not planted or placed there by white students. They were planted and placed there by black and brown students trying to say that this is a place of racial discrimination. I don't know what it's for. Probably activists to try to pressure the campus to do the things that they, you know, want them to do in response to this allegedly, you know, uh, racist act. But look, if this country were as oppressive and as terrible for non-white people, as the race baiters and the activists and even some professing Christians say that it is, you wouldn't have people making up instances of racism because it would not be necessary. But oppression and victimhood have become currencies. Now, you get some sort of cultural and social capital if you can say that you are oppressed, that you are a victim, that you have been marginalized. The fact of the matter is there is no, uh, there is no better country in the world. There is no country in the world that allows for racial and ethnic minorities to be as prosperous as they are. No other country besides America. There is no other country where the ethnic and religious and the racial minorities can accomplish the things that they have been able to accomplish in the United States of America. It just does not exist. And this is the problem with social justice. This is also the problem with this idea that empathy has to take over all of our mental faculties. This is the problem with saying, oh, we always have to lead with empathy. We always have to think with empathy. We have to um, look at every circumstance first with empathy. Well, look, empathy can blind you to the truth. In this situation, if empathy were your only guiding light, you would just uncritically believe this person because we have to believe all victims. Because that's what we've been trained to do. The right and the empathetic thing to do is to just believe someone when they claim something. Look, you can be compassionate without forsaking the rational capacity that the Lord has given you in your brain. 
Just because you want to be compassionate, you want to be loving, you want to be accepting of someone doesn't mean that you should stop critically thinking. It doesn't mean that the truth does not matter. Empathy without love is a lie and lying is not love. So I hate that we are in a situation where we have to approach these kinds of situations with skepticism. I don't want to have to be skeptical to people's claims. Like I want to just be able to believe someone if they say, hey, this person acted in a bigoted way towards me. Like I just wanna be able to link arms with them and say, I'm so sorry that that happened. What can I do to help? How can I combat against this? That's, that's what I want my reaction to be. But unfortunately, when this happens over and over again, your initial reaction starts to just be, well, that probably didn't happen. And that sucks. That sucks for the people who have legitimate claims of um, bigotry or discrimination. Their story is true. They actually are victims because there are victims of all kinds of hate in this country. I want us to just be able to believe them because, well, who would make that up? But unfortunately, some people would. And in this case, at least with the information that we have right now, this looks entirely made up. It is a disservice to actual victims of any kind of hate. It's a disservice to yourselves. And it just makes people not take any claim like this seriously. And that's a bummer because, as I said, sometimes they're real. But this is the problem with the culture that we have created of condoning partial justice, which is social justice, biased justice, basing our verdicts based on just the color of someone's skin rather than what is actually true. Thankfully, as Christians, is we used to say so much when we did like a whole year of episodes on like so-called social and racial justice. God's justice, according to scripture, specifically according to God's law giving in Israel, is direct, it is truthful, it is proportional, and it is impartial partial. He doesn't defer to the poor. He doesn't defer to the great. He does not look at a person's skin color or a person's station in life to determine what is true and what is right and who is guilty and who is innocent. We look at the facts of the case, truthful, impartial, direct, and proportional. That is God's definition of justice. It has to be ours too, which means we cannot abandon truth when we are hearing about these kinds of situations. All right, I've got a similar story, a similar story coming up after this. We're going to talk a little bit about Meghan Markle, but first let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is Cozy Earth. All right, if you are heading out of the summer months and you actually have a in autumn, wherever you live, maybe the temperatures are dropping and you are trying to, uh, you're trying to stay warm. You're looking for some good loungewear that can keep you warm and cozy as the, as the temperature is getting a little bit colder. You need to check out Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth has amazing, super soft loungewear, I love their sets so much, but they also have awesome sheets. I love our Cozy Earth sheets. They're soft. They're luxurious. They are temperature regulating. They're made from 100% viscose from bamboo, which means they're breathable and moisture wicking. So if you're someone who likes to sleep cool like me, they've got you covered in that. Plus, they are so sure that you are going to love their stuff. They're offering a 100-night sleep trial. You can sleep on them for 100 nights wash them, use them. If you don't like them, then you will get your money back. Save 35% on Cozy Earth Bamboo Bedding. Go to CozyEarth.com slash Allie. Save 35% now with my link. That's CozyEarth.com slash Allie. CozyEarth.com slash Allie. All right. Speaking of 
perpetual and faux victims. Megan Markle has a new podcast that she is promoting in a stunning interview with an outlet called The Cut. So in this in this article, of course, which is very gushy about her and who she is and what she has accomplished, she makes this incredible statement that has now been picked up by the media that a lot of people are making fun of. The article says she recalls a moment from the 2019 London premiere of the live action version of The Lion King. I just had Archie. It was such a cruel chapter. I was scared to go out. A cast member from South Africa pulled her aside. He looked at me and he's just like light. He said, I just need you to know when you married into this family, we rejoiced in the streets the same as we did when Mandela was freed from prison. Of course, she knows she's no Mandela, but perhaps even telling me the story is a mode of defense, the journalist says, because if you are a symbol for all that is good and charitable, how can anybody find you objectionable? How can anybody hate you? Now, apparently, according to the Daily Wire, Nelson Mandela's grandson slammed Meghan Markle for even drawing this comparison at all. Now, maybe Meghan Markle would say, well, hey, I didn't say it. Someone else said it. But you're bringing it up in an interview. You know that it's on the record. What you want is for this reporter to make public that you marrying into a royal family is in any way comparable or should elicit the same reaction at all to Nelson Mandela being released from prison. And this is kind of what she does. I know that there are probably some Meghan Markle defenders out there. I'm not trying to say that she is, um, you know, an irredeemable person, that she hasn't had a hard time, that it hasn't been, you know, somewhat of a difficult adjustment. But it just seems like you should be able to kind of reckon with yourself at some point and say, you know what, I have not had a difficult life. I have had a very charmed life. I made it in Hollywood there for a little bit. I literally married uh, a prince. And now I have the privilege of being a part of the royal family. With that privilege comes some responsibilities and some expectations of respect of the history and the legacy and the customs, the traditions of this family and of the UK. I understand I'm an outsider. I'm an American. And um, I just, I, I need to respect that. And I need to help my husband and help this family uphold this institution. That doesn't mean she's not allowed to have her independence or her disagreements or uh, whatever it is. But look, doesn't it kind of come with the territory of being a duchess that you have to abide by certain behaviors and live up to certain standards? That's what it seems like she's resisting and what she constantly acts like she is a victim to. Not that she is just a victim of, you know, what she would say, you know, probably racial oppression, which I'm not saying that at no time in her life has she experienced any discrimination, but it seems like she thinks that she is a victim of the expectations of being a part of the royal family. And like, didn't you understand that that what that's what was going to happen when you married into this family, when you married Harry? Now, I think that a lot of Brits have even harsher words to say about her. What I don't like about her is that she is constantly getting people to feel bad for her while simultaneously casting herself as this kind of like martyr-like hero. And I'm just not sure there are very many people in the world who really regard her as that.
Maybe there are a few. I don't think that there are very many. Apparently on the podcast called Archetypes that she is promoting in this interview with The Cut, uh, she has a conversation with Mariah Carey and Mariah Carey called her a diva. Now, if the diva of all divas, who is Mariah Carey, if she is calling you a diva, then perhaps some that is something that you need to take to heart. And maybe that comes with the territory too. Maybe if you were a duchess, like you get to be a little bit of a diva, but you can't be a diva and a victim at the same time. That just, that doesn't, that doesn't really work. Also, I've talked about before, they live, I think, in Malibu. They live in California in this huge McMansion. Meanwhile, they are preaching to other people about the importance of preserving the environment, of lessening your carbon footprint. Look, the guy who lives in, you know, rural Oklahoma, who is driving 45 minutes every day in his diesel truck and is using 16 plastic straws every hour has a smaller carbon footprint than these pseudo-environmentalists Harry and Meghan do uh, because of their private travel in jets, because of the mansion that they live in and all of the energy that requires to like air condition a home like that. So that's what bothers me about her. I don't know about all the other stuff. I don't really get into the royal drama, but she just seems like a hypocrite who wants to be seen both as the strong and empowering hero and also wants people to feel very, very bad for her. And I just don't have, I don't have either feeling towards her. All right. I want to get into um, a couple more things. First, let me pause telling you about our second sponsor for the day, and that is Eden Pure. If you're looking for an air purifier, specifically one that you can plug in to your wall so it's not taking up any floor space, you don't even notice it, one that's quiet, one that actually works to take away the odors and the germs in the air, whether you're at home or traveling, then you need to check out the Thunderstorm Air Purifier by Eden Pure. It uses oxy technology that quickly destroys viruses, odors, mold, a lot more. There are over 250,000 thunderstorms sold so far, so you know it really works. You just plug it directly into your wall. There's no setup necessary. We love it. We have several in our house. It really works. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Use discount code Allie to save $200. That's three thunderstorm air purifiers for under $200. Shipping is free. And if you are watching on YouTube, the thing that I am talking about is not the thing that is in the picture. So you're just going to have to go to EdenPureDeals.com, use discount code Allie to see what the thunderstorm air purifier really looks like. That's EdenPureDeals.com. All right, so just keeping in the theme of this episode, uh, speaking of hoaxes, things that are just not true and things that are fake, the American Academy of Pediatrics is out here saying, still saying in the year of our Lord 2022, that kids need to be wearing masks in schools. I mean, how many times over the past year, especially at the end of 2020 and 2021, did we go over charts and data set after data set and peer-reviewed study uh, after peer-reviewed study showing that there is no evidence that exists on this planet that mask mandates for kids in any way lowers mortality or even has any kind of effect on the case rate. I mean, the CDC study that came out that said, oh, look, 
there actually is a big difference. It was completely demolished, completely debunked by David Zwig, as we talked about at the time. The uh, American Academy of Pediatrics, I really thought that they would have dropped this by now. Last year, there was this whole kerfuffle, this whole kind of mini scandal, at least among conservatives, when the American Academy of Pediatrics came out and said, oh, there's there's no indication or data or evidence whatsoever that caretakers wearing masks around toddlers or babies is going to impede their development or speech whatsoever. As they said that, they quietly went to their website and they deleted a portion of their website that showed that uh, showed the the data in a study uh, demonstrating that young babies and toddlers watch their caretakers' mouths not just for smiles and to understand emotional reactions and to feel safe, but also watch the formation of words in order to understand how to pronounce those words themselves. And a lot of people called them out. I thought maybe they have a little shame. Maybe they're a little embarrassed. Maybe they won't outwardly, you know, publicly backtrack, but inwardly, internally, they will be embarrassed and they'll take this back. They have not taken it back. They are now uh, doubling down. They tweeted just a few days ago that there is no indication that wearing masks around kids is going to impede a child's development at all. They say during a child's first few years, they rapidly develop communication skills. Parents and other caregivers help by reading, talking, singing, and playing the more words a child hears, the better. If caregivers are wearing masks, does that harm kids' language development? No, there is no evidence of this. And just FYI, there is no evidence of this is not the same thing as there is evidence proving our statement. They're just saying there is no specific explicit study that is showing that People wearing masks, adult wearing masks is the cause of kids not being able to speak and to understand well. Yeah, because it's only been a couple of years. Can we not employ just a little bit of common sense here? Like, can we not just understand just a little bit about all of human history's understanding of child and baby development. Like we as adults, like when we used to have to wear masks on airplanes, I'd be traveling with my husband and he would say something to me and I would have no idea what he's saying because even though I can hear and I would like to think I'm pretty good at uh, exchanges of words and conversations, because I couldn't see his mouth and because it was loud in the airplane, I had no idea what he was saying. So if that's true for adults who have hopefully mastered this whole you know, language thing, think about how much more difficult it is for kids who are, especially kids with special needs, especially kids with auditory processing problems, especially kids who already have different kinds of speech impediments. They need to see how the mouth moves in order to know how to pronounce the words. It also brings a sense of security. It is really hard to tell someone's emotions, their reactions, when you can't see half of their face. The emotions don't just come from the eyes. Kids want to know that you're smiling. Kids want to know if you're angry. Kids want to know if you're sad. Half of your face conveys that. So it can actually create a lot of anxiety. And man, like in order to say this, you have to have not talked to any rational parent at all over the past two years. There's this family doctor on Twitter... She has, let's see, 45,000 followers. Of course, she's got her pronouns in her profile. So that pretty much tells you all 
that you need to know. But she tweeted, and this got about 3,000 likes, if you want to ensure safe in-person learning without disruption, mandate masks in schools. So that's the kind of... um, That's the kind of extortion that we're seeing from these kinds of people, these activists, and of course that we're going to see from the teachers unions. Okay, if you want an education, if you don't want your kid to uh, slip into loneliness and isolation and purposelessness and do suicide, then you better let us mandate masks. If you want your kids to come to school and not sit in front of a computer at home for eight hours a day, you better let us mandate masks, even though there's no evidence. There's no evidence whatsoever that they work, there's far more ample evidence that they hurt, not just for the reasons that I just listed, if we're talking about cognitive and language development, um, but also when you're covering up half your face because of those things, it damages your ability to relate to one another. It damages how you see other people, either as primarily as vectors of a virus or as human beings. There is no evidence, no good data that this helps more than it hurts. And there was this article, this is from last year, ABC News, uh, out of Palm Beach, saying that therapists there have seen a 364% patient increase in babies and toddlers over the past two years. You're telling me that that's just random, that there's no correlation whatsoever to the fact that the adults around them are covering their mouths? You're telling me that uh, that's just uh, that's just a coincidence. I'm not sure about that. And I've talked to a lot of you who are speech therapists, uh, especially in liberal areas, and you are forced for your job to be wearing masks. And I've talked to a lot of parents, those of you out there who are parents of kids with special needs, whether it's autism, whether it's Down syndrome, or whether they just have some kind of speech impediment, and who have been trying to go to therapy and how difficult how discouraging, how disheartening it has been for you because your child has struggled so much. I know kids that have gone backwards when it goes to when it comes to reading comprehension. Maybe they were doing well before COVID and before these restrictions went into place when it comes to speech therapy, when it comes to their development and reading and learning and speaking. And now they've backtracked because of these restrictions. So the AAP is as far as I am concerned, has lost all credibility. They've lost all credibility, not just for this, but also because they are for the gender um, mutilation, the genital mutilation in the name of gender affirmation for children. And so, and this is like a very dire crisis that we're in, that we cannot trust our medical institutions, that I would love to be able to trust the CDC. I'd love to be able to trust the AAP. I would love that. I'd love to have a go-to source to be able to ask all of my mom health questions too and to be assured that there are people of goodwill who care about the science and who care about the truth and not at all about politics giving me my answers. But we don't have that. That's a problem. I mean, really, I guess the theme of this episode in general is the crisis of credibility in our institutions, whether it's our media or whether it's the CDC or the AAP or whether it's the government, we just can't trust the people that we are told are supposed to be our purveyors, our givers of accurate and solid information. And yet anyone who asks these questions over the past two years have been censored. They've been deplatformed. They've been called conspiracy theorists and kooks. It's wild. And there's 
an actual consequence to that. There's a consequence to these experts being so unwilling to admit that they're wrong. Um, I also, on NBC News, this is a 2012 article that I dug up a couple weeks ago. 2012. A 2012 study in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences shows that babies are using lip reading to acquire language. So this is 2012. You think the AAP, 10 years later, doesn't know about this study? The results showed that at four months of age, babies focus almost solely on a speaker's uh, eyes, but by between six to eight months, the infant entered the babbling state of language and they directed their attention to the speaker's mouth and they continue to lip read even through 10 to 12 months old. And of course, as I already mentioned, we do that throughout our lives. So we know that. That was reported on 10 years ago, and that just confirmed what most people already understood about how we communicate to each other and especially to young kids. In the AAP, because they're a political arm of the progressive medical bureaucratic state, they are just repeating these talking points that, again, will have real consequences on people. Speaking of consequences, there was an article that I just saw, but it came out a few months ago um, in Nature magazine. Titanium dioxide particles frequently present in face masks intended for general use, and it should require regulatory control, the authors of this article say. Uh, The study tested several batches of face masks intended to be put on sale as PPE. 70% of the masks contained titanium dioxide in high quantities. In animal experiments, toxic effects were reported when the particles were inhaled and ingested orally. In 2017, the Risk Assessment Committee of the European Chemical Agency classified titanium dioxide as a suspected human carcinogen. Further further toxicity and epidemiological research is needed to assess the risk of vulnerable populations, especially children. And yet, and yet, we've got the CDC and the AIP saying, oh, no, you should definitely just put these little face masks made in China, by the way. You should just put these little face masks on your sons and daughters when they're five years old. They'll be totally fine. I mean, we have not even started to see the repercussions of COVID policy that were not based in science, that were not based in rationality. They were not based in compassion. They were based in a need for identity and a need for meaning, a need for purpose a need for virtue signaling. And so people could not let go of their masks. They could not let go of their 15 vaccines. They could not let go of Dr. Fauci. They could not let go of their virtual learning and their lockdowns because it became for them an identity. It became for them a very easy and outward way to say, see, I'm a loving person. I'm a good person without ever having to get off their couch sad. It's sad. And we will continue to see the consequences of our stupidity. And in some cases, when it comes to the government, our corruption for a very long time. And if you're just now waking up to this, welcome. It's time to continue to speak up because unfortunately, there are kids across the country that are facing these mask mandates. So you need to get organized. You need to get active. You need to get involved and you need to push back against this for the sake of your kids. What do we always say? That children are the unconsenting subjects of progressive social experiments, whether it's unscientific mask mandates and COVID restrictions, whether it's abortion, 
whether it's genital mutilation in the name of so-called gender affirmation, whether it's, as we've talked about, the destructive comprehensive sex education that is in schools, kids are always the unconsenting subjects of progressive social experiments. And there is only one group that can hold them back from that, and that is parents. And so that's our role. It matters for masks. It matters for all the other cultural issues that we're talking about. So make sure that you are staying on top of this in your area. All right. There is only one more thing I want to talk about. There's a a reaction that I want to do to this uh, crazy, crazy video out there that just really makes me sad. It doesn't really have to do with anything that we have talked about so far. It's not really on theme, except I could kind of make it on theme. This is like what I'm about to play you after this ad is a fake version of love and acceptance. All right, let me tell you guys about one of my favorite sponsors, and that is Good Ranchers. Now, how much would you be paying if you locked in your car payment when you first bought your car, if you have a car payment? Imagine if you paid the same amount for your current car as you did for your 1980 Toyota Camry. That would be too good to be true, but that is exactly what Good Ranchers is doing. They are letting you lock in your price on all the meat you buy, all of it. So when you subscribe, your price does not go up for the life of your subscription. A year from now, when meat goes up another 50%, this will be the thing that you wish that you had done. So just go ahead and do it. Every item, Steakhouse quality sourced directly from American farms and ranches. You can pause or cancel anytime. It's month to month. You can use my code Allie today and get your box for only $30 off plus free shipping. The thing you'll love more than the prime steaks, better than organic chicken, awesome seafood uh, of Good Ranchers is the price that you get to pay for it forever. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, so this uh, this is a clip that was played on um, the Mean Girl Pod, which is a podcast of barstool sports, and they're talking. I saw it. I saw it going around on social media. And they're talking about um, strip clubs, and it just really made me sad. So I'll give my reaction to this after we play this. Opinions on your boyfriend going to a strip club. And let's change that to boyfriend, partner, spouse, husband, anything. I say, let him go. Why not? And trust him. Like, bachelor parties, we're we're going to strip clubs. Um, I think there is no issue. And be a good boy, whatever that definition is that fits you. Yeah, I don't have an issue with that at all. I I personally love strip clubs. Um, I truly think if you have a problem, it might be because you don't trust your partner. Also, I view strip club as like a, a place of entertainment where they're, the people who are stripping are doing their job. Mm-hmm. Like they're not just going to be on your boyfriend making out with him. May, I mean, I don't know if they, that's a problem then. But you know what I mean? Like when I think of strip clubs, I'm like, yeah, get the lap dance. Like that's part of the entertainment of the show. That is so sad that these girls have such a warped view of what love is, what a relationship should be, what loyalty looks like, what fidelity and faithfulness and actual purity looks like. Like, I'm sure that those things are not crossing their minds at all, but they have been so inundated by the lies and the propaganda of this culture that they actually believe that it can be healthy 
that it can be good, that it can be okay for their boyfriend, spouse, whatever, whatever other words she used, partner to go to a strip club and get a lap dance by a stripper. And it's not just that I think that they have a completely unhealthy view of what a relationship should look like. It's also, of course, that strip clubs are immoral. And people say, oh, no, they're not immoral. These, those women are going out and they're choosing to be a stripper. They are, they're deciding to, you know, slide down that pole and dance for money. That's what they want to do. They're consenting to it. So who are you to judge? Of course, I'm going to say if something is immoral moral or moral. Self-objectification is still objectification. I don't care if those women have known since they were six years old that they wanted to, you know, give gross men lap dances for money. I don't care. I don't care if they are consenting to it. It's still wrong. It's still disgusting. And the culture that we have of objectification or self-objectification leads to all kinds of warped and destructive views of the human body, views of sex, views of women, views of men, views of dynamics, of power. This culture that we've created where consent is the only standard that we have of morality and decency and virtue is wrong. It's wrong. Consent, of course, is an aspect of whether um, an act or an interaction is morally okay, but it is not the only standard. It's not the only standard of decency. That is like the absolute bare minimum. The question should be, is this good for the soul? Is this good for the heart? Is this good for relationships? Is this good for society? Is this good for productivity? Is this good for the family? Not just does this feel good in this moment. I mean, this is one of the most perverse examples of instant gratification that exists that is an absolute cancer in our society. Not to mention, of course, that, I mean, all of it is disgustingly sinful that, of course, Christians are not just to not cheat on their spouse, but not even to look at a woman lustfully. That's what Jesus tells us um, that it's not enough not to commit adultery, but you're already committing adultery if you look at a woman lustfully. So, I mean, just disgusting and just depraved and just sad. Like, I'm just sad. Girls, I want you to know that there are men that exist who will only have eyes for you, who will do everything that they can for you and your family and to be faithful to you who will want no other and will pursue no other sexual interaction except for the sexual relationship that they have with you within marriage. That's how it's supposed to be. That exists. And that is like the best form of relationship that you can possibly find. Do not aspire for anything less than that. Do not settle. Do not believe the lie while all guys look at porn, all guys go to strip clubs, all guys look girls up and down. Of course, all guys are going to think about and talk about other girls. No, that might be a temptation that's always there, but that is not. That might be normal. That might be common. It's not godly. It's not right. You don't have to settle for it. So anyway, girls at Barstool, not really surprised. Barstool is like that. Um, but I'm 
I'm sad for them that they think people who are not okay with their husbands going to strip clubs are the ones who are unhealthy. Look, I mean, I wouldn't trade... I, I wouldn't trade matrimony, holy matrimony, a monogamous marriage for whatever they got going on with their boyfriends any day of the week. All right, a couple more things to say, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, last sponsor for the day is NetSuite. So if you're a small business owner, if you're a small business owner, you need to know your numbers and you don't want to waste all of your time sitting there and crunching numbers manually. You need to make sure that you have software, you have a system that is doing that for you. Over 31,000 businesses know their numbers because they use NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, planning, budgeting, and of course, inventory, so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. In 2022, profit is the new growth. So NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your manual business processes, and see where to save money. Know your numbers, know your business, and get to know how NetSuite can be the source of truth for your entire company. Go to netsuite.com slash Allie right now. They're offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for my listeners. netsuite.com slash Allie. Okay, I hope everyone has a wonderful Labor Day weekend. We will have a short episode on Monday. It'll be a Q&A episode. Lots of good questions that I got from you guys. So I will be answering that. Um, and it is our, it is my husband's and my anniversary over the weekend. Actually, I think it's on Tuesday. I'm forgetting like which day it actually is. We will be married for seven years. I can't believe it, man. It goes by so fast and we have lived like so much life, lived in different places. We got two kids. I mean, different jobs, all kinds of journeys. And um, as I said a few minutes ago, don't settle. Like, don't settle. Marriage is awesome. Exclusivity, monogamy, faithfulness. Like, it is awesome. It is worth waiting for. It is worth working for, you don't have to settle for the just disgusting and objectifying definition of love and sexuality that this world offers. As always, the God who created us and who created our bodies, who created sex, who created male and female and created marriage knows better. And just to like wrap up this episode with a nice little bow, basically the theme was fake things. And we want to be people who are of the truth. We want to be people who love and pursue that which is good and right and true. And that's what I hope to help us do um, on this podcast, not just in the factual sense, but also in the biblical sense as well. So thank you guys so much for coming along that journey with me. We will be back here on Monday. Monday.